following audio is from a sermon series on the book of Colossians entitled, Jesus Over Everything. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit scmoline.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Colossians chapter 4. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, yeah, my name is Nick Powell, and I, I remember I was here uh, a year ago, and I really enjoyed preaching. I've, I've, this was like the first time I preached in, in an actual pulpit, you know, instead of a music stand. So that was awesome. Like, like uh, Trent said, I've been friends with Sam for a number of years. We, we met Jesus around the same time at UNI, and last week I, got, I had the privilege to preach at Sacred City Davenport, and one of the things that strikes me um, over the years is, is how uh, God's faithfulness has preserved uh, the church and preserved his people, and it's, it's a consistent reminder when I see guys like Sam and Alec and Rev and Jarek Bakken uh, and these, some of these guys that I knew from college and they're still following Jesus and they're still treasuring Christ and singing. I mean, even, um, I don't know how many of you know Alec, but Alec Apkiss at Sacred City Davenport, he, uh, in college ministry, he would stand over here in the le- lecture hall at BASIC, uh, the college ministry we we're part of. He'd stand over there and that's where he'd worship and, and it was exactly the same spot he was standing in uh, at the junior theater, and it was like such a picture of God's preserving faithfulness um, that we're still doing this thing 10 years later. And for me, as a 31-year-old, I mean, I haven't lived a lot of life, but I have seen already seen friends that were excited about Christ and have since departed from the church and gone off to do other things and are no longer embracing the gospel and Jesus. And so that's a heartbreak for me. And it gives a sense of urgency to what we're doing that we're not just playing church. This is life and death. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is taking us from the domain of darkness into marvelous light. And so I praise God for his faithfulness for preserving the church. Uh, And it's just every time I'm around you guys, it's such a a privilege because I get to see God's faithfulness at work. Uh, And last week, uh, I had the privilege of preaching through the text right before this. Uh, in Colossians 4. And so basically Paul is instructing the church on, okay, we've, he said, he's, he's praised God for the salvation for the church and, and he's going in Jesus over everything. I mean, he's talking uh, about Christ and how magnificent and preeminent he is. And then he's pivoted towards the latter half of this letter into explicit const- instruction for Christian maturity. And uh, last week was prayer for opportunities for mission. This week, is what happens when those opportunities come? How must we act and speak um, to an unbeliever when we do get evangelistic opportunities? So that's the focus of this morning's text. But before we get into that, uh, will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, there's, there's so much going on in our lives that distract us from you, Jesus, I pray that your spirit would would be present here this morning 
in a way that we've not sensed all week. I pray that you would be present with us to focus our hearts, our minds, our attention completely and totally on you this morning. This is a word-centered church. This is a God-centered church. I pray that we would not be just saying words and talking about you, but we would be worshiping you, treasuring you. And we know that we are only able to do that by the power of your Holy Spirit. You must blow wind into this thing. You must fill us with your spirit this morning to give us joy that gets us through the pandemic, that gets us through hard conversations and uncertainty at work and uncertainty with friends and all of the things going on in our lives. We need something more stout in our souls, in our spirits, Lord. I pray that you would be that this morning for us. Please be present with us this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. So 2,000 years ago, Jesus called a few working class fishermen to a new vocation. He said, come follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And this, this was a radical call for them. It was a vocational call. It was a call to redefine their purpose and repattern their whole life, repattern all of their lives on a new way of living. They were called not only to believe something, they were called to do something. They were already familiar with the patterns and the ways of their trade as fishermen. They knew their tools well. For those of you that use tools at your workplace, which is probably everyone in here, they knew their work, they knew the fish, they knew their habits, they knew their vocations. But Jesus redefined their vocation, He gave them new patterns of living new tools, new mission, new purpose, and he invited them into an apprenticeship. Discipleship is an apprenticeship of Jesus. They were called to learn his ways, to follow Christ into a new vocation. And today, the church is, is called to still carry on and to live into that vocation of following the way of Jesus. Every follower of Christ is living this same basic vocation of being fishers of men. Yes, we're called to believe in right doctrine. Yes, we're called to believe in right truths. The church is a pillar of truth. But we don't just take the team picture. We don't just rep the ideas and the brand of Christ. We put into practice what he laid out as the pattern for living. We're called to the same apprenticeship. And our apprenticeship, our vocation, is to be fishers of men. That means we are to be fishers of souls. As Jude puts it in his letter, he says, we are to snatch people out of the flames. That's a serious thing. This is not a hobby. And evangelism, we know that being a fisher of men means evangelism is central to what it means to following Christ. It's not some secondary or tertiary thing, like it's the thing. And it's not something that super mature Christians are called to do. It's not something that just, just the skillful ones or just the professionals or just the articulate charismatic ones. We are all called into this basic way of life of being fishers of men. 
As one saying goes, uh, if you ain't fishing, you ain't following. But I don't know many Christians, if you're like me, I don't know many Christians that like to evangelize. Because the word, even the word connotates weird associations. Uh, maybe when you hear the word evangelism, what comes to mind is forced, awkward conversations, gimmicky programs. But one of the reasons why we have to have conversation is because the word of God says faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. An unbeliever won't know the good news if we don't tell it to them. And so we must tell the crucifixion. We must proclaim Christ crucified to the lost. We can't stay silent and we can't stay blushing in the corner. But in our culture, what makes this even more awkward is that evangelism is a form of hate speech to a lot of people. What biblical evangelism implies is that the other person's way of living is invalid and wrong. Jesus makes exclusive claims. He's the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to the Father. And in a relativistic, pluralistic society such as our own, evangelism can be risky business. I mean, if we're not going to get persecuted, I mean, you might lose friends over it. You might feel that sense of social anxiety, like, I don't know if I want to say this because it's a little bit weird. But we can't avoid it because it is central to our vocation as followers of Christ. And the polarization in our country, it doesn't make it any easier. We're so saturated in media, in the internet, and in television, whatever. Uh, the, to cut through the noise, politicians, thought leaders, anyone who's trying to have influence in our culture has to cut through all of the noisy information that's out there. And in order to do that, what do they do? They give over to hot takes, hot take culture. They got to have the next sensational thing to say that grabs everyone's attention. Oh, did you hear what he just said? crazy. So everywhere you look, you see a new hot take from a new, from a thought leader like a politician or an expert. And since many of us are saturated in this type of media, we bring that conversation style into our everyday conversations. Be, be honest with yourself. How often, how often have you reached for hot takes that you've heard or read from like a Candace Owen or a Trevor Noah, and you're like bringing that into conversations with people about certain topics. Maybe you don't even notice it, but how did that conversation go? Was it winsome? Was it gracious? Did you capture their attention? Did you win? Did you win your brother and sister? How'd that conversation go? And the problem with hot take culture is there's no wisdom in it. There is logic, yes, and there definitely is emotion, but there is no wisdom in much of the hot take culture. But we need wisdom to evangelize. That's what the text says this morning. Because if we're to pattern our evangelistic conversations on the culture, then we're going to have a hard time evangelizing the lost. We would all evangelize like dumb extremists if we just gave ourselves over to the patterns of the culture. But that's not the way of Jesus. That's, the good news is that the Jesus offers another way. So how are we to evangelize like Jesus in a culture of extremism and hot takes? That's the question that this text begs this morning. Well, the first thing we do is we need to pray. 
Last week, uh, we looked at Paul's instruction to pray and ask God to help us with our evangelism. Like, we need God. We need God. We pray steadfastly and persistently for opportunities to tell the good news of Christ. And the reason that we need to pray for evangelism is is that evangelism is good work. I mean, like all other vocations, it requires some thought and it requires some care and some intentionality. Like I was walking down this aisle looking at the, the pews. I mean, this is a cool thing about an established church building is like every one of those corners of the pews is hand carved. That's crazy. Someone spent an awful lot of time and effort on that. You don't just rush into that kind of work. And how much more time, care, and intentionality do we need to approach evangelism with? We can't expect to just rush into that, make an offhand comment, and then walk away from that thinking that we did good work. We need the wisdom of Christ. And so this week we're going to explore Paul's explicit instructions on evangelizing according to the way of Jesus. So if you, if you have a Bible, I would suggest opening up uh, to Colossians 4, 5 through 6. And we're going to go through uh, this instruction on how to, how to speak, how to speak when the opportunity comes. So as a reminder, at this point in the letter, Paul's giving his last bit of instruction to the church. So he, he, at the beginning of his letter, he's just like gushing over their salvation. He's so thankful to God that they are embracing Christ as their savior. He's thanking and he's gushing about that. And then he pivots. After he praises God about that, he pivots and he gives over to practical application, some instruction to how to follow Christ into Christian maturity. And, and the point is, is that you'd be transformed, right? The point of discipleship is that you would become more like Christ every single day. The, the biblical word for that or the, the theological word for that would be sanctification. And he says, this is what he says. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders is Paul's way of saying, be mindful of the way you live, knowing that non-Christians or non-believers are watching you. Don't just talk the talk, but walk the walk is what he's saying. Even when it's hard. Especially when it's hard. Because you see, in Paul's day, being a Christian was really hard. Like the ancient church experienced various seasons of persecution, various seasons of intense persecution at the hands of the Roman Empire. And so if you're walking around, confessing Christ, living the way of Christ, patterning your lives on Jesus, that was risky business back in that day. And so we can sympathize with some of what was going on in the ancient church. It was no breeze or walk in the park to tell your neighbor of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there's some similarities there. It's not super popular to follow Jesus. It's actually really very difficult. But a good student of church history knows that in the difficult seasons of the church, the church has experienced the most flourishing. Jesus promised that he would build his church, that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And so the church, when it's experienced its various trials, whether it's persecution, economic downturn, plagues, the church has bloomed because we have a superior hope. 
And that hope stands in stark contrast when the world around us burns. When the world around us decays, the gospel shines bright. So we should, we should take hope that our evangelism is actually more salty and provocative in today's culture, in today's climate. It's not all doom and gloom. So the phrase Paul uses, he says, making the best use of time. Have you ever wondered what that means? Because that phrase, he uses that phrase in Ephesians, and he refers to um, redeeming the time because the days are evil. I don't know if you've read that section of, of Ephesians. But his usage in Colossians is a little more, it's a, it's a little simpler. Uh, what he's talking about is seizing opportunity. Because right before that, he prays, he says, pray for opportunity that we would share the gospel and be effective in sharing the gospel even in prison. That's a hard place. Sharing the gospel in hard places is necessary. And so he says, pray for opportunity that we would do that. And then he says, the phrase, making the best use of time, we know that that means he's, ask, he's instructing the church to seize the opportunities that come your way in the hard places. Christians are to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, seizing evangelistic opportunities like an experienced thrifter nabs a hot deal. I don't know if anybody likes the thrift in here. So my wife is from a small town in North Iowa, and, uh, and going back to her hometown has been very, uh, it's just been a pleasant experience for me, hearing her stories and, and hearing her parents talk about their way of life. Uh, it's just different from the way I grew up. And I didn't grow up in a huge city. I grew up in Clinton, but I didn't grow up a farmer. And so it, it's been interesting to go back to my wife's hometown and just listen to the way that her family has grown up. And her grandparents were some of my favorite people because uh, her grandpa ran a demolition excavation business. Uh, so he was like farm site, uh, what they call him, the, the farm site undertaker or something like that. So he'd like bury trees or take down buildings or whatever. And uh, he wasn't great with money. So his wife, my wife's grandma, had to really take on the responsibility of managing the house, managing the household. She managed the finances and everything. And, and so she earned a reputation that she was very thrifty. She was very good with making uh, a dollar stretch. And in fact, uh, in her obituary when she passed, the, the local newspaper said she knew how to stretch a dollar. And I was like, that sounded like an insult to me. That sounded like they were saying she was cheap or something. And, uh, and as I've learned and grown uh, hearing the stories, that's actually a virtue. That's a virtuous way to live is that she was an opportunist that took the opportunities to find clothes and food and ways of living that were thrifty so that her family could flourish. And it was something that she had to learn in the hard seasons of their life. There's something, sim something similar going on here in Paul's instruction. And so my wife is a lot like uh, her grandma in that way. It's kind of annoying is that when we're going to thrift shops or whatever, when we're going places, she's like, oh, I just saw this on Craigslist this like building material that we're gonna need a year from now. We gotta go nab that up. <laughs> and so our garage gets super full, but when the seasons come, when we need it, it's helpful, right? That's just, that's the basic wisdom in being thrifty, 
it's not necessarily about filling your house full of trinkets, although that's kind of fun, but it's about being ready when you need the stuff. You're an opportunist in the best sense. And so as followers of Jesus, we're called to be making the best use of time, being thrifty opportunists when evangelistic conversations arise. There's something about our way of life that should be provocative to the unbeliever. And we should, like an experienced thrifter, have something ready. Oh, I'm going I'm to make the best use of this opportunity. I'm going to seize this opportunity. And Jesus was like that. You know this. And if you've just casually looked through the stories of the Gospels, you know that Jesus was an opportunist, making the best use of time. Whether it was a conversation at a watering hole with a woman, the woman at the well, I mean, he capitalized on that. Whether it was a conversation over a dinner table, bread, wine, Jesus was always telling stories, using misdirection, poetry, getting at the heart of the person that they were, he was talking to. Yes, Jesus preached, but he was a master evangelist because he walked in wisdom. Jesus could have had every right answer at every moment of his ministry. And so the question that you ask, why did he tell parables? Why did he tell stories? Because Jesus was after something. Jesus knew that he had to walk in wisdom towards the outsider. And we are called to do the same. And so many of you don't evangelize, I think, because you don't see evangelism as very creative. You don't see it as a creative outlet. You only see things in extremes. Some of you battle with thinking that evangelism is nothing more than, than dominating someone in logic. Or maybe you only see evangelism as emotional manipulation, kind of like a high-pressure salesman. But what if there's a better way? What if we could evangelize more like Jesus? What would that be? What possibilities would that open up? So verse six describes this way. He says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how, to, how you ought to answer each person. Seasoned with salt, gracious. So this describes the way of Jesus in evangelistic conversation. So putting into practice means first that you are to be gracious. We reject browbeating, we reject abusive methods and ungracious tactics. We are to be a gracious people. And this is where we need to remember the gospel because out of all people on this planet, we know that we were once dead in our trespasses, full of sin, sick in our hearts. We were brutes, ignorant. And Christ made us alive in love Jesus saw us. You see, that's why old theologians say that the sweet spot to be is realizing the depth of your sin and the magnificence of Christ. Because when you realize how dirty you just were and how dead in your sins you really were before Christ, then when you realize that when Christ gives you his righteousness, there's graciousness that that produces. Thank you, God, that you've redeemed me from such great depths of misery. And so when you bring that into a conversation with somebody, that changes the game. That changes the whole thing because you remember what it was like to walk in ignorance to the way of Jesus. You remember what it was like to not be pricked with joy that we sang about in tenderness 
that last verse, longing for the eternal days when we rehearse God's praise, rehearsing the gospel, the joy of Christ. I mean, I was thinking about this when I was singing with my mask on. What a strange experience that is, because it's like a muffler, you know? And I'm used to just being able to project loud, and nothing makes me long for the glory of heaven when I'll have unveiled face and unmasked mouth <laughs> singing the praise of Christ. And, and so as believers, when we walk into situations where people want to know more about Christ, we should always carry with us that sense of, I, I sympathize with you. I empathize with you. I understand what it was like to be lost, but now I have friends. That changes everything. So apply this to our evangelism. Our, our posture to the lost should be the posture that Jesus had toward you. So like when we are approaching this stuff, when, when Paul says we are to be salty, we are to be gracious and salty, this is where you can give yourself over to the creativity of evangelism. Jesus calls his followers to be salt of the earth. And what is salt? Salt in the biblical sense, like the metaphor used often in the Bible, there's two things that it connotates. Salt used for preservation, being useful, and salt being tasty. I mean, we're supposed to be tasty. This community should be tasty. People should walk through these doors and come into your missional communities and observe you living your life at the coffee shop and at your workplace, and they should be like, this person's salty. They won't use that language, because that's just weird. But they will probably say, there's something different about the way that you're living, and I don't know what it is, but I want some of it. Be salty. So instead of, instead of thinking about evangelism as something boring and dull and dutiful and tedious, using stock phrases throwing out Bible verses and saying the, the word of God never returns void and so I can just drop some truth bomb and then walk away. Instead of giving yourself over to that type of evangelism, see that you're called to be salty. Because here's the alternative. If you possess so much joy in Christ, you will ooze that around unbelievers. Every time that you get poked, whether it's by a global pandemic or you just lost your job, or somebody insults you, or whatever it may be, every time you get poked, you'll just ooze and bubble joy in Christ. That's what it means to be salty. And to have that, you need to rehearse and have knowledge of your salvation. That's Paul's entire, entire argument here, is that when we say Jesus over everything, we're not using that as a brand catchphrase. We're saying Jesus over everything because I delight in Jesus over everything. It's delightful. And so evangelism is the pivoting from this vertical relationship that we have with, with Christ, saying, I delight in you so much. Thank you for your salvation and the relationship that I have with you. And then it's the overflow in love to the lost. That's evangelism. And yes, it's hard. Yes, it's hard. But at the heart of it all is an overflow of joy that meets the needs of others. Psalm 63, this, this psalm is crazy. If you haven't read Psalm 63, go home and do that after this. It says, oh God, you are my God. 
earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water, where there is no water. Your steadfast love is better than life and my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. (laughs) Is that your relationship with Christ? And I know it's not like that for us all the time. It's not. To sustain that level of longing and yearning is very difficult. But by the grace of God, we are called to long for that. Romans 5 says we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Longing for Jesus to be more than just an idea, longing for Jesus to be our sustenance, we want to consume and feast on Christ like it's our like our life depends on it. When people see that kind of pursuit of Christ, they see something salty, something useful in a world that is famished. I mean, walk out that door. We know that the culture is hungry, hungry for something. It's ravenous. The appetite is ravenous for something to fill and give them hope. And as Christians, we are we, are, we, we know that when we read the word of God, the promise is, is that we have the ultimate hope. So let's long, for our, let's long for our joy to be filled in that hope. So practically, here, here's, here's what, let me just say this. Evangelism is difficult, but it is doable. It's doable. Mission is possible. Every one of you I know needs to hear that this morning. It's not for the super Christians. It's not for the church, just the church planters. It's for every single person. It is totally possible. And let me tell you a story that I think the way this could look. So my wife, I've used my wife as an example because she is, I think she is more like each one of you uh, in the ways that she's insecure about being a pastor's wife. She's insecure about her knowledge of the gospel. She's insecure about a lot of things that I think you guys share insecurities. And uh, one of the ways that I think that she's phenomenal is that as an opportunist, as someone who is willing to make the best use of the time, uh, when we moved into our neighborhood in Des Moines, where we were living for the past four years, my wife was diligent in saying, hey, we should go rake rake the neighbor's leaves. Just something simple. Two houses down from us, uh, there was a family that uh, we knew there there was some talk around the neighborhood. There was some problems. It was a broken home. Just say that. And uh, my wife was like, we should just go rake their leaves. They look like they need help over there. She's a single mom. She had like five kids at home. And so I, I was like, oh, I just did a bunch of work today, but I'll go do it. So we walked over and we raked the leaves. And that led to simple conversation after simple conversation after simple conversation. Fast forward a year from then, and this mom is sitting in our living room crying her eyes out because her son just got arrested for murder. That never would have happened if we would not have taken the opportunity to rake that woman's leaves. What a simple thing that is. And I know that simple things like that often get lumped in with that, was it Francis of Assisi quote, that share the gospel, use words if necessary. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we need to take every opportunity that we possibly can 
to share the explicit gospel and the hope that we have. And sometimes that comes through very ordinary but very creative means. And that, to me, should give all of you life and hope and optimism that evangelism is doable. Whether it's at the hospital, a retirement home, a preschool, your neighborhood, it doesn't matter. All of it is ripe with opportunity. We need to have the eyes of Jesus to see those opportunities. Let's pray and ask God for that. That's First Peter. I'm going to leave you with this. First Peter, uh, the verse, First Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared for the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. Yes, we are to know the rudiments of our faith. We are to know the gospel. But what comes before that? Why is it that we are to be prepared? Because 1 Peter is, Peter is writing to an exiled, suffering Christian church. Things are not going well for them. And yet, they're walking around this lost world with joy. And so people turn to them and say, and when that moment comes, we're to be prepared. So let's pray for them. Heavenly Father, my words are completely useless in Stoking the flames of devotion to you, Christ. But I pray that I pray that at least one person here feels energized to go back to their, their area of life, their sphere of life, no matter how small, no matter how few people, no matter how ordinary and common, I pray that you would spark something in their hearts that there is opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we can proclaim Christ crucified even through such simple means as raking leaves and having conversations about the weather. Lord, I pray that we would walk in wisdom and that you would give us the skill, the missional evangelistic skill that you possess, Jesus. Chant our hearts and imagine. Thank you.